How many of us are ready for God's word? Amen. You know, you know, we're called to come into his house with expectation in our heart. We're called to come in expecting to meet with him. And when we do, there's always a blessing, always a blessing. So let, let's just get right into it. We've been talking about vantage. That's our overall arching sermon series topic. Vantage is, uh, according to Webster's, or I forget where I got this, maybe it was definition um, dot com or something like that. A position giving a strategic advantage, commanding perspective, a comprehensive view. So we shortened that and said just a better point of view or a better perspective, a better perspective. Can we agree that God has a better perspective than we do? A better point of view than we do. He has several advantages to us, uh, to name a few. He's omniscient, omnipotent. He is, he is in every sense of the word perfect. And so when we rely on him, we're better off than relying on ourselves. As a matter of fact, we, we talked about this before. We said that the Bible indicates very, very clearly, oftentimes, that, that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Uh, I'm going to ask our, our tech team to put my time up there right now. It's counting down and... If you leave me like that, who knows when we'll get out of here. I need, uh, I always need that visual reminder. So a better perspective. We said that our perspective is affected by our view of ourselves or others' view of us and our circumstance and situation. That's how typically our perspective is shaped. But we also said that the key to having a godly perspective or a good perspective, a better point of view is to get in God's word. That means the word of God will shape the way you look at things and should shape the way you look at things. We said that prayer shapes the way you look at things and not only the way you look at things, but the way things are. And we're also, we highlighted worship. Now today we're gonna take prayer and we're just gonna unpack how to have prayer impact our lives. And I want to remind you of how important prayer is in the New Testament church. Prayer is absolutely essential in the New, in the New Testament church and scenario. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. Now notice what he what he is saying. He says, not in some things, not in hard things, not, not in certain seasons, but in every season, in everything. Everything really does mean everything we should pray about. And with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I, I need you to really think about this because there is an epidemic of anxiety sweeping across America today. And the, and the church is not exempt from that. They're not excluded. There's, there's many of us that are struggling with anxiety and worry and doubt and, and, and fretting over everyday problems and not so everyday problems. And I want to share with you 
as clearly as I possibly can that God's word says there is a solution to that, and that is prayer. Real, abiding, heartfelt prayer. You say, Pastor, but sometimes I don't feel like praying. The answer is still prayer. We'll talk more about that as we go along. But the answer is still prayer. Now, I want you to consider how the world views this verse. The world says something like this, in everything by money, in everything by social status, in everything by appearance, in everything by PR, marketing, education, and this is how we try to run our lives. If I only had more money, then my life would be okay. I would be free from anxiety. I would be free from worry. Do you know uh, there was a wise man that once said, more money, more problems. Some of you are saying, who was that? Well, no worries. Um, more money, more problems. Guys, this is the truth. Because money doesn't solve anything. And, and some of us say, but if I was only liked better on Facebook, if I only had a better Facebook following, if I only had more uh, uh, folks following me on Twitter, if I only could make my life look a certain way and have a certain appearance on the outside, then maybe the outside would affect the inside. And how many of you know that never does work? It never does work. Some of us try to PR our way through life, market our way through life. We think if we only had more education, if I could only get more accolades, if I could only get more accomplishments, then I would feel better about myself. I would have less worries. I would have less problems. That's not true. And you say, but that's the way the world looks at things. Do you know that the world impacts the church because we bring the world into the church? And we bring it in. And the truth is, we're called to be, listen to me very, very closely, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Come on, I, I want to share something with you. If, if you're fairly new to foundation, I pray that today would be a challenge for you. I pray that today, and, and, and I want to remind our church of what we're here to do. We're here to unlock God's goodness in our lives. And sometimes a lot, unlocking God's goodness is dealing with things that we need to have improve in our lives. And sometimes we need to be challenged and we need to hear not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And so my deep, deep passion is that you would be blessed today. That you would be blessed with the fullness of God's word. Not just the easy stuff, not just the whipped cream. But I'm talking about the steak and potatoes of God's word that will grow you and, 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 and nourish you and, and inspire you in a deeper way than just getting a sugar high. So, so today I want to talk to you about, you know, being, being in the world, but not of the world. Our citizenship is not here on this earth. It is heaven bound. We are heaven bound. And so we hold to a higher allegiance. We have a higher allegiance. That is that is heaven rules in our lives and should rule in our lives. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you that I preach a whole lot better than I live. Can, can I just be the first to say that it's easier to talk than it is to walk? I can preach a great message with my mouth, but my feet don't always cooperate. And my wife is quick to check me on that. 
She is quick to say, uh, pastor. That's her way of saying, you're good at preaching, but now when you're at home, it's time to live it, pastor. It's time to live it, and I, and I get that, but, but can I say we have, to, we have to try a little harder because the American church has been focusing on money for far too long. If we only had more money, we could build more buildings, we could have more programs, we could have more of this, we could have more of that. The truth is, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we will affect no change. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that brings the change. If we could only be more well-liked. Someone told me the other day, Pastor, we've got to be mindful of our Yelp status and our Facebook likes and, and what, what our rating is here and there. Can I tell you, the New Testament church could care less about that. Because at the end of the day, they understood that the world would not love them. The world would hate them. And that the power comes from God loving us and God's approval of us and God liking what we do and God anointing what we're doing. And when the Holy Spirit falls and the, and the ground begins to shake and the wind begins to move, blow through and the fire begins to burn bright, then we become the city on a hill that shows the difference of what Jesus can make in a person's life. And when your marriage is strong and when your children are honoring God and when God is blessing your life in such a way that even the hard times can be a testimony to those around you. They begin to notice and they begin to say, there's something different about your family. I can't put my finger on it, but you've gone through challenges in such a way that you, in such a way that you exhibit God's grace all over you. You drip of God's grace. You smell of God's grace. You look, oh, I want to be more like you. Can you tell me? Can, you, can I come to church with you? We're talking about a mighty move of God that goes beyond social status, that goes beyond appearance, that goes beyond marketing. I'm talking about inviting heaven down to impact our life and our world. How does this happen? Well, Jesus put it best when he said, it's not about money. Listen, and Jesus went into the temple and God drove out all of those who, brought, who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the temples of the money changers and the seats of those who were, who were selling there, right? And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the key right there. When God's house begins to pray and we come into an intimate relationship with him, then things begin to change because heaven begins to make its presence known here on earth, in our midst. What am I talking about? Well, first of all, I want us to know, church, that, that it's time. It's time for the American church to wake up. What do I mean by that? I mean that we've been playing church for too long. We haven't had a great awakening in quite a while, and, by, and, and I think we're long overdue for it. I think it's time for revival to sweep across this country, and many believe, many, many, many believe that Jesus' return is right around the corner. If you look at prophecy, I could prove it to you from God's word. There's no more prophecy to be fulfilled other than the rapture. Some of you are going, whoa. Yeah. 
Israel is back in the land. Hebrew is being spoken again. The shekel is being used. A nation was born in one, year, in, in one day, and then the labor pains. We're seeing all the prophecies from Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Zechariah. It goes on and on. They have been fulfilled. And so if Jesus is returning, then we need to start to wake up. And listen to what Jesus said to his church. This is one reason I believe that the rapture will take place prior to the seven years of tribulation. When you read the the book of Revelations, you have the first three chapters. I said three. The first three chapters deal with, listen to me very closely, with the church. In chapter four, John is raptured into heaven and he is shown some of heaven. When he returns, the focus shifts to Israel. It's all about the Jewish people, the last part of the book. That's when you deal with the seven years of tribulation. Even Paul says this. He says, until the end of the time of the Gentiles will Israel be called back. That means there is a church age. That's what we're in now. This is the time of the Gentiles. That's you and me. Israel has rejected their king. When the time of the Gentiles is complete, they will come back to their king. The 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 focus will be on them. If you look at the outline of the book of Revelations, you see that exact outline. You see the church age, talking about the seven churches. Seven means time of completion. When the church age is complete, the rapture takes place. Seven years of tribulation unfold. The return of the king. Boom. That's Revelations. Okay? So watch what he says to the churches. I'm going to summarize what he says to the churches very, 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 very quickly. Ephesus, you've left your first love. You need to return to it. Smyrna, be faithful. Keep doing what you're doing, even if it costs you your life. Paragamos, stop compromising. Thyatira, stop tolerating. Sardis, wake up. Philadelphia, keep up the good work. Laodicea, stop being lukewarm. So out of the seven churches, five of them received rebukes. Only two received commendations in in terms of no rebukes. So you say to yourself, well, what age are we in? If you follow the the, the idea that, that each church represents a time period in church history. And if you believe this could be the end, then we would be in Laodicea where we need to, what, stop being lukewarm. But I think a more appropriate way to look at it is this way. Every church represents a certain type of person. And throughout the ages, there have been people that have been part of each church. That's one way to look at it. So if you look at this and you say, ooh, what church would I be a part of? Am I the person? Am I the church person? That means in this place, there's all, church, all seven churches represented. Would God say, keep up the good work? Or would God say, wake up? Would God say, stop being lukewarm? Would God say, you used to burn bright for me. I was your first love, but somewhere along the lines, you replaced me. I'm not your first love anymore. What is it? Well, I tell you, the key to all of it is relationship with God, and relationship comes by prayer. Prayer is the mechanism by which God invites us to have relationship with him. It is so important in the New Testament that it's found throughout 
everywhere you look in every epistle, you, you see Paul, you see the apostles, you see all of the, all of the New Testament highlighting prayer. Even the brother of Jesus in the book of James says this about prayer. In chapter 5, verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Listen to this. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses or your sins to one another. You say, well, pastor, well, I don't understand that. We'll talk more about this, but what you need to understand is this. God forgives you, your brothers heal you. Do you hear that? God forgives you, but your brothers help you heal. And that's what, that's what James is talking about here. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that, that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now, one more thing I want to highlight about the Elijah passage there, verse 17. Listen to what the Bible says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What is the Bible trying to get across to us? He was a man just like us. I know we think of Elijah as super prophet, as the one who called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel and did an amazing thing when he defeated the prophets of Jezebel. And, and he, was, he was like the man, right? Elijah, there's no prophet greater than him. But can I tell you, the Bible is saying he was a man just like you. He was a person just like you, ladies. He put on his pants, as we would say today, how? One pant leg at a time. That means it is possible to have this kind of power if we would only pray. So stay with me on this as we go through. What I want us to understand is that, is that prayer Prayer helps us, helps us understand God's will and even unlocks God's will in our lives. First of all, we have to understand some things about God's will. There is two parts to God's will. There is God's conditional will and there's God's unconditional will. When we talk about God's unconditional will, we, we talk about that 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 facet of his will that, that's going to be accomplished with or without our help. It doesn't matter what we think, say, or do. He's going to have his way. We talked about that last week in the book of Daniel when, when God says over and over, the most high is what? Sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. He does what he wishes, how he wishes, with whom he wishes, as long as he wishes, for whatever reason he wishes. And so we, we need to remember that. And, and, and it also says in the book of Daniel that heaven rules. So when we talk about God's unconditional will, there's times where God is moving and it doesn't matter what's happening in history, his will is being accomplished. But there's also a facet of his will called his 
conditional will. This is when he invites us to be a part of his movement on earth, where he has certain good things that he has set aside. He has a certain plan. He has a certain desire. He has a certain design, and he invites us to help it come about on the earth. You say, but, but well, well, wait a minute. Can you show me this from Scripture? Well, a quick little verse that shows this is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish. Now, that's what the uh, New King James Version says. In the ESV, it says, not wishing that anyone should perish. In another version, I forget which one, I, I, I read, them in, I read it in, in multiple versions. It said, not desiring. So it's true that you can see throughout Scripture, God desires that the world be saved. God desires that all would be saved. But that's conditional upon what? upon us accepting Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. If God has given you a gift, and I give you this gift, Josh, watch what Josh has to do. He has to open his hand. So the condition is, I'm giving you the gift, but do you want it? Do you desire it? Are you going to open your hand? Well, that's how you receive a physical gift. How do you receive, thank you, Josh, how do you receive a spiritual gift? The same way you open your heart, you open your life, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this condition is found throughout Scripture as well, where God says, how I wanted to do this for you, Jerusalem, but you were not willing you see this throughout scripture where Jesus says to Israel, this were my, these were my plans for you, but you chose a different route, Israel. I desired to make you the envy of the world, but you chose to follow after pagan gods. And so you see this, and prayer, listen to me very closely, prayer is the mechanism that God uses to establish, listen for us, listen for it, establish his will in our lives through his conditional will. You say, well, well how, how do, what are we talking about? We're talking about inviting heaven down. We're talking about having heaven impact our lives. We're talking about establishing heaven's dominion in our lives, in our church, and in our community. You see this even in the book of James James says this in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you lust and you do not have. Now listen to me very closely. Lust is a desire. It's a desire in our hearts. Now it turns, a desire turns to lust when it becomes fleshly. How do you keep it from being fleshly? You take it to the throne room. And you let God refine your desires. This is what the Bible says in the Old Testament when he says, if you delight in him, he will what? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the, the desires of your heart. See, many of us believe we delight in God and he'll give us what we want. Maybe it means delight yourself in God and he'll give you what you ought to want. Do you see the difference? He gives you what you ought to want, and so you keep it a good desire versus a lust. But, 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 but watch closely what James is saying. 
You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Can I just tell you that that's been me? I start wanting something. I start desiring something. It, it, I never bother take it to the Lord. And so then it goes awry. How does it go awry? I start looking at other people when they're getting what I want and I start criticizing them. I start backbiting. I start backstabbing. I start saying, well, they're not all that. I use Jamie in the first service. Jamie's all swole and buff and he looks good. And I said, like, you know, the one way is I want what he has, but I could start criticizing by saying, you go, well, well what, what do you say? I said, well, he ain't all that. Look at him thinking he's wearing a medium when he should be wearing a large. And, and you know, and I start... Jamie's not here. He left. <laughs> he left. But, but I start downing Jamie and saying, man, look, that's just that. Look, man, who, who does he think he is strutting around like he's all that? And this, you know, no, I'm, I'm, watch what the Bible says. I'm murdering him. I'm coveting against him. And I cannot obtain it. Why? Because I'm fighting and warring within myself. And what I should be doing is going to God. But listen to what God says. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. So there are some things that God has in store in heaven for you with your name on it. The Bible puts it this way. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he, he has established for you to do. And they're in heaven. All you got to do is unlock the potential. And in case you're one of those that have taken John Calvin's teachings and totally taken them to the absurd and saying, I don't have to do anything. I just have to sit here and God's going to do it all. Then what are you still doing here? God is saying, join me in this epic, beautiful work of salvation. I have a plan for your life, and it's written down in my book. Yes, but the way you unlock it is you join me in through prayer, asking heaven. That's why Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, come down and impress your will on my life. Impress your will on my life. Use me, oh God. Listen to what he says. And then some of us ask, but we do not receive because we're asking with wrong motives. How about a pure heart saying, Lord, let thy will be done instead of my will be done. And really, really praying. You say, but pastor, how do we know the difference between conditional and unconditional? Well, God's word is a big clue. Praying is another clue, but, but how do I know so I can do the least amount of praying? Isn't that where the question's coming from? We always ask because we want to find the loophole. Because if I, if I could just figure out when I'm supposed to be praying, then I could maximize the effectiveness, Pastor. That's what I want. I want to be maximum effectiveness, you know. I want to pray for just those things that I can affect. The things I can't affect, I'll leave them alone. And No, 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 no. Listen, that's why Paul says... It, it, you got to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians because it's not always clear cut. God doesn't show you if he did. That's exactly what we would do. We would only pray when we absolutely needed to. And God says, pray without ceasing. Listen, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks. Now, I, want you to, I want you to see the bookends to the pray without ceasing. There's, a, there, there's these, these two bookends. Rejoice 
and give thanks. And every time you find the subject of prayer, you're supposed to pray and you're supposed to bathe it with joy and thanksgiving. Even Paul says this in the book of Philippians when we said, by in everything, pray. He says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. And he says, make your request known to God. In everything, by what? Be anxious for nothing, but instead make your request known to God by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. You'll always see those two bookends. Holding prayer up in the right context. That's how you keep your desires pure from turning to lust. You say, well, are you sure? Yeah, no, no, no. I love the verse in Isaiah. Read with me, Isaiah 65, verse 24, when he says this. He says, it shall come to pass, and before they call, I will answer. Listen to this. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. What Isaiah is saying is this. God already has it for you. All you have to do is ask for it. you got to call it down. You've got to unlock it. Can I tell you, God desires your marriage to flourish. God desires your children to know him. God desires their safety and their well-being. And he desires to see you enjoy the fruit of this land. But are you asking for it? Are you calling down his promise upon your life? Are you praying for it like the air that you need to breathe? Do you value it like that? Because if you do, then it will change your life. Let's get into this and let's break down our focal passage, James chapter 5, verse 13. And if you haven't noticed, what I'm emphasizing over and over and over is expectation. You got to know, Lord, what what was our focal passage last week? One of our focal passages was Jeremiah, right? For I know the plans I have for you. What, What are they? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Lord, that's what I know. So I'm going to pray, believing with all my heart. Jesus said this, what is impossible for you is more than possible for God. And all things are possible for those who believe. You have to believe. So there was a, there was a town that was going through a drought and it had become, it, it, it reached epic proportions. They needed to do something, and they needed to do something fast. So the mayor, the city council, all the commissioners, they got together. They said, we need a call for a day of prayer. We want everyone to show up at the courthouse gazebo and, I mean, fill the entire place. We don't want anyone to stay home. We're going to pray. And so... Everyone started getting there and immediately the pastors were in the gazebo, all the city leaders were in the gazebo and they said, well, who's going to lead the prayer? Who should start it off? This is very, very important. And one of the pastors said, we'll know when when God reveals it. And everybody shows up, everybody shows up. Finally, there's uh, little Johnny shows up and he's got the biggest umbrella around. They said, well, who should lead the prayer? Well, it's only right, the one who brought the umbrella. He's the only one that showed up expecting that God was going to have it rain. Can I tell you? That's the way we should pray. Lord, if I'm praying for rain, I believe you're going to have it rain. This will come to play a little bit later. Read with me here. 
Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So let me ask you something. Is anyone here suffering financially? Is anyone around among you, among us, suffering physically? Is any one of us suffering emotionally? Is any one of us suffering in any way relationally? Maybe we're suffering in our marriage with our children. We're suffering. I just want to make sure God's word is relevant here today. Is there anyone suffering? Maybe there's just one or two. Raise your hand if, if, if you're that one or two people. Raise your hand high. Now I want you to look around the room. There's some of us suffering with telling the truth too, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, uh, James will deal with you in the very next facet of this verse. But if you're suffering, you know how you impact your suffering? You pray. Today, we want a pill to fix it. We want friends to fix it. We want our job to fix it. We want the government to fix it. And if they don't, we, pray, we blame our president. And everybody wants the cheap, easy, microwave, fast food, drive up to the drive-thru, throw a burger at me, and fix my problem. No, they'll only cause you more problems, believe me. The truth of the matter is, the way you fix your problems, if you're suffering, you're sick, you're hurt financially, something is going on, you take it to God and you begin to rend heaven, you begin to pray, you begin to call out to the name of Jesus, you take him your supplication and you say, oh Lord, and don't forget the bookends, add some joy, add some thanksgiving, and then make your requests known to him and his peace, because this is what you're saying, you're saying, Lord, I need you to rule in my life. Your word says in the book of Daniel, heaven rules and I need you to show that up in my life in this situation, in this circumstance with this particular thing that I'm dealing with I need you Lord I need you Lord, I need you God that's what we're talking about here if you're suffering pray some have said take it to the throne, not the phone some of us call everybody wanting to hear what they have to say. Meanwhile, God's saying, I got the answer for you right here. All you got to do is ask and I'll send it down. You have not because you ask not. We have to ask. Listen, is anyone cheerful? Now, this is for the other guys that said, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I have joy. I have cheer. God is blessing me. I'm not sad. I'm glad. Then watch this. You should what? Sing psalms. Sing psalms. That means praise him. Do you know that when you praise, it should show up on your face? See, God is a God of integrity. And I've said this before. You know, if I held up a banana, how would you know it's a banana? Because it looks like a banana, right? Yeah, but you don't know what's behind the peel. Well, pastor, you see, I've, since I was little, I've been eating bananas. And every time I peel it, it's a banana inside. I've never had an orange. The reason you don't have an orange inside it because everything God does, he does with perfect integrity. So watch this. If he made you a Christian and put joy inside of you, it should show up on your face. Yeah. 
And so when you praise him, make sure you look like you're praising him. Not like you're passing a kidney stone. <laughs> you should, I'm sorry, Tony. That was that lovely. That was, I didn't even know you were sitting. We prayed for that, and, and, he's, and he's over it. He's over it. Now, what I'm saying is you got to praise him. But, but let me get this right. If you're suffering, you should be communicating with him. And if you're cheerful, you should be communicating with him. That means I should be communicating with him no matter what. Exactly. Communicate with God is what James is saying. How important is it? Because ultimately he wants a relationship with you. Now we're bringing this to a close. Keep, keep on this with me. Is anyone among you sick? The word sick there literally means weary, worn out. That means broke, busted, and disgusted. Toe up from the flow up. That means just messed up. I've had it. It could literally mean, you know what? I've had it with you. I'm done. Has anyone been sick or in a problem for long enough that your prayers didn't seem to be answered? You walked into that deep night of the soul. And, and it's what our foundation, uh, I mean, uh, devotional fathers call the deep night of the soul or the lonely night of the soul, that place that you were just done and you didn't have the strength to carry on. You know what the Bible says? Watch this. Let him call the elders of the church. There is times in our lives where we don't feel like we're connecting with God and we've done all our own praying and now we need somebody else's help. See, but some of us have jumped into, I need somebody else's help, but you hadn't stopped at, at verse 13. When you first start suffering, you got to pray for yourself. And there's got to be a season of you praying for yourself before you can call somebody else. But once you've exhausted your own prayers and you need somebody else's help, it reminds me of the, of the four friends that brought their paralytic friend to Jesus. When the house was full and there was no way to get to Jesus, they climbed up on the rooftop. They made a hole in the roof, laid him, lowered him down. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he healed him. Notice he said when the Bible says when he saw their faith, he healed them. Because every one of us needs someone at some point in our life. We need someone and we need to be there for each other. Our elders gather up here and we pray for folks every Sunday. I want to take that a step further. I want our elders and we're going to sit down and we're going to decide on a time on Sunday morning that we can we can. We can get a little corner of this church and we can begin to take appointments for those that are, that are sick, that are weary, that are past the point of praying for themselves and they need the elders to lay hands and begin to pray. They can begin to use healing oil. Now, oil can take on all kinds of forms and fashion. It can be a very physical oil. As a matter of fact, I use physical oils all the time for healing, and this is biblical. We use Young Living, and many good people here in this church sell Young Living, but today I use some peppermint for some gastro problems. I can use all kinds of oils to refresh, to heal, to soothe, to 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 bring down inflammation. But what the Bible's talking about is not just a physical oil. The Bible is talking about a spiritual oil that a brother can call down from heaven. How? 
When, God, when David said, the Lord anoints my head with oil, does that mean that God was constantly anointing him with a physical oil? No, God was anointing him with the refreshment of his Holy Spirit. And we can help refresh one another by serving each other, by meeting each other's needs, by praying for one another, and encouraging each other in the Lord is what the Bible is saying here. And watch this. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. That means when we begin to pray for each other and the elders begin to pray and those that are your discipleship leaders lay hands and pray for you, there is power there and healing takes place. Now, this is the kind of prayer that brings about the healing. Go with me to the next verse. The next verse is, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Meaning, if there's sin that's unconfessed, you've got to get that out. But the, but the word that, that's used here in the Greek means prolonged sin that someone has fallen into, has entangled them and not released them. They cannot get free from it. Have you ever experienced something that you cannot get free from and you pray to God, Lord, forgive me, and, and, and no sooner than you stop praying, you commit it again. And you just keeps on and keeps on. The enemy uses that to hold over your head and to have you doubt your salvation, to have you doubt your prayer life and to, and to just buffet you. How do you get free from that? You confess to God your sin, he forgives you, but your brothers help you heal. And your brothers help keep you accountable. And your brothers shore you up in prayer. Now, now you have to be careful which brothers you confess to. You can't confess to a gossip. And that's why gossip is one of the things that, that the Bible says he hates. Because it destroys the unity of God's bride. And so what we have to do is choose wisely those individuals that truly care and have the maturity of eldership to pray for you, to care for you, to, to hear what you have struggled with and to remind you that there is forgiveness and the breaking of that hold and stronghold in your life in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I know I'm speaking a lot of technical things, and you might have shown up here to just receive a whipped cream sermon, and you got steak and potatoes. You're going, oh, my goodness. But I'm, I, I want to bless your life. Stay with me on this. Stay with me. Watch this. The, the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Now, the Bible uses man, but it means person. Woman or man can avail much. But, but watch the key words. Effective means energetic. Fervent means the kind of prayer that, 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 that requires all you got. That doesn't doubt, but believes in God's goodness and God's grace. This is the kind of prayer you don't want to have prayed over you. I'm sick. Would you pray for me? I, I really want to get better. Well, Lord, I don't know what your will is, but we pray, God, that if it be your will, maybe he could get well. And if he doesn't, well, he'll be in heaven. 
And Lord, we ask that you comfort the family even now. Begin to prepare them for him maybe not making it, God. No, don't pray for me. Don't pray for me. But, but I don't know what God's will is. I don't know if, he's, if it's conditional or unconditional. I don't know. Then pray with all your heart for God's healing power. Why not pray? If God takes the person home, well, that was what God's will was, but that didn't mean that I'm not going to pray with all my heart that God would heal the person and that God would move like he has moved countless times before. But I need you to understand, I'm not, this preacher is not saying that God has to heal in every situation. I let God be sovereign and God be God, and I'm not. But what I do do is I call upon the name of the Lord with fervency and effectiveness and with all my might and call upon his goodness to enter into our time and space and impact it like only he can. And that's what we're called to do. Now, this is where we finish. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. Now, what does it mean that he prayed earnestly? That means he travailed. He prayed effectively. He prayed fervently. It reminds me of Daniel Nash and Charles Finney. I don't know if you know who Charles Finney was, but Charles Finney was a great evangelist during the Second Great Awakening. He was a part of that time in our nation's history when God moved in such a mighty way. What you may not know is that he had a counterpart by the name of Daniel Nash. Now, most evangelists invite with them a worship leader. He invited with him a prayer leader. Daniel Nash was effectively known as Father Nash. And he would oftentimes slip into a town three to four weeks before Finney's revival. He would rent a room or find any space that was available. And he would listen to me, find two or three other people that believed in fervent travailing prayer. And he would begin to pray. On more than one occasions, you would hear these kind of reports come. Pastor Finney, do you know a Father Nash or a Daniel Nash? I run a boarding house and brother Nash came to me with two other men and they rented a dark cellar or a room or some corner of my boarding home and they went and shut themselves in there and it's been days they haven't had not one bite to eat. And as I worried about them and got close to the door, I could hear groaning and moaning and just, just travailing in, in, in prayer. But she didn't know that. So I was worried and I peeked in on them and I saw them lying face down on the ground, calling out in the name of Jesus for your revival. Would you go check on them? Would you go and make sure they're okay? And Pastor Finney would say, no, they're perfectly okay. They're just travailing in prayer. Now, I need you to understand this happened time and time and time again. And while the two weeks that Pastor Finney would be preaching, he would be travailing in prayer. He would be praying weeks before. He would be praying during. And after, he would head on to the next site and begin to prepare the ground to call down heaven to affect this earth, that the heavens would be open, that God's grace would begin to fall and impact. What you may not understand is this. 
Within four months of Nash's death, Finney left his itinerant field and became a pastor in New York City. His partner in cracking the gates of hell was gone. If you want to see Father Nash's grave today, you will have to drive to northern New York, almost at the Canadian border. There in a neglected cemetery along a dirt road, you will find a tombstone that says, Daniel Nash was a nobody to the elite of his time. They would have found his, this humble man not worthy of comment because he lived a totally, on a totally different plane. But you can be sure that he was known very well to both heaven and hell. That's the kind of prayer Isaiah did. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, this is where we finish. You find Isaiah, he goes and he tells in 2nd, I mean 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 41, he goes and he tells, I'm going to ask you to put those verses, verse 41. He goes and he tells Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundant rain coming. So how does he know to tell the king that rain is coming? This is how he knows. Because in the first verse of the chapter before, God told him through prayer that rain would be shut off and he shut it off in prayer. In the first verse of 18, God tells him now it's time to open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain again. So he's just communicating what God told him in prayer to communicate. But I want you to watch how this, this, this travailing, effective, fervent prayer takes place in the life of Elijah because James is highlighting Elijah. In verse 41, he says to him, he says, go up and drink and eat. The sound of abundant rain is coming. So Ahab went to eat and to drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go now and check toward the sea and tell me what you see. So this is what's happening. I need you to visualize this with me. He's up on the mountaintop. He has a servant with him. He says, you're going to check for rain. I'm going to pray it down. I'm, it's already done. God's already said it's happening. I got to unlock it and call it down from heaven. This is how he did it. He put his face between his knees and he began to pray. Nobody caught that? Let me see if this side caught it. He put his face between his knees and he began to pray. See, in today's modern equipment, a woman when she's given birth can lay down and put her legs in stirrups and, and push. But in the ancient times, a woman given birth would put her head between her knees and begin to push. Can I tell you that God conceived it in his heart, rain is coming, but in order for him to receive it, he had to believe it enough. Some of us want to see it, then we believe it. No, it doesn't happen that way. God will have you conceive it 
But then he'll have you receive it through prayer. And it happens in travailing prayer. He began to pray and call it down with all his might. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that shakes earth. He began to call it down. And seven times the, the, this, this prophet sent his servant to look for rain. He would not see it. On the seventh time, now what is significant about seven? You've got to pray to completion. Some of you have stopped praying before completion. Some of us have quit praying before God has said, stop praying. You've got to pray with all your heart. And he said, there it is. I see a cloud the size of a hand of a man's hand. And Elijah said, it's, it's done. Heaven rules. Heaven has broken through. It's coming down. And that's all I have to hear. God doesn't have to show me the whole storm. It's coming. So he goes and tells Elijah, now watch this, watch this. He says to King Ahab, get on your horses, on your chariot, and take off. And while he took off, this is what Elijah did. He got his garment, he girded up his loins, he tied it up, and he hid it. I mean, he booked it. He just took off. What's wrong with y'all second service? What's wrong with y'all second service? First service was up on their feet clapping like, oh my gosh, I'm not trying to get you up, but I'm trying to get you to understand. This is, have you ever seen a man outrun a chariot with horses? I mean, he, he girded up his garment and he hid it. I mean, I wanted, some of you track and field guys, Usain Bolt didn't have anything on the man of God. He began to run and he ran with so much. If you know your word, you would know that's Isaiah 40. For those who, come on now, for those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What I'm talking about is a mighty move of God in our lives. If you would start to pray. Pray. So this is where we finish. Worship team will come up. And I'm going to ask a very simple question. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you about your relationship with the Almighty King of Glory? And is He calling you to enter into relationship at a much deeper and intimate level through prayer? To call down heaven's blessings for your family, for this church, for this community, for your husband, for your wife, for your children through prayer. Now I'm going to ask you to I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and pray with me. A prayer dedication. Father, you see every hand raised and you see every heart that's opened. And I pray God, I pray God with all my heart that you would Lord impact the lives of your people. That you would begin to shake and move and blow away anything, God, that hinders us from coming to know you in that deep, intimate, personal way that you desire for us to, to have relationship with you. Lord, I pray, God, that we as your people would call down heaven's purpose upon our lives and upon our, this earth. I pray, God, that the prayers 
would be fervent, that would be, that we would learn to travail in prayer with all our might, Lord. For our families, count on it. Our community counts on it. I pray that you would burden our hearts for what burdens your heart, Lord. That we would cry out to you for our neighbors, that we would cry out to you for our loved ones, that we would cry out to you for this community, and that we would not stop until we see the rain fall. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Foundation. Have a great week.